Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-Centered Leader in Confessional Broadcasting, Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. And welcome to Concord Matters, the show where we seek to be of one mind that is the mind of Christ. And to do that, a couple of Christ-confessing Concordians reads through and discusses the book of Concord, what we believe, teach, and confess according to Scripture in our Lutheran Confession of the Faith. On today's show, we're going to continue Article 4 from the Epitome of the Formula of Concord, looking at the affirmative statements where we see that wonderful phrase, what we believe, teach, and confess with regard to the teaching on good works. I'm your host, Pastor Sean Smith, pastor of the Dual Parish of Emmanuel West Point in St. Paul's Wine Hill. And my companion confessor in conversation about this article today is Pastor Brian Flamey, pastor of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Roswell, New Mexico. Pastor Flamey, welcome to Concord Matters. Hey, it's great to be here, Sean. Hey, great to have you. All right. So we're going to go ahead and dive right in here, but just a very brief summary recap, uh, uh, gross oversimplification, as I'm known for on this show, of uh, what we covered last week. If you really want to know what we covered last week, you can find it on demand, kfeo.org. Go look it up. Uh, listen to the episode. It was a great episode, really laying out the history, the historical background. What is the controversy about this article of Good Works, even 46 years after the Augsburg Confession was written? And uh, Dr. James Bonick uh, was, uh, was our confessor last week who did an excellent job laying that out. But essentially what's at stake here is that there's really kind of two ways to talk about Good Works or, uh, you know, kind of or at least there were kind of two ways going on at the time. And, and that's what we have to try and settle. And the best way to settle that is to just simply say, again, that wonderful, beautiful phrase that we see so often here in the formula of Concord, we believe, teach, and confess. And we believe, teach, and confess these things according to Scripture. So we're going to get into that today with these affirmative statements. Uh, and then as has become our habit since getting into the uh, formula of Concord, um, the negative statements and what we reject and condemn will be covered next week. So be sure to tune in for that as we close out this article next week. Uh, but here we kind of get that that middle episode uh, where we just say this is what we believe, teach and confess according to Scripture. So let's dive in. These are the affirmative statements. The pure teaching of the Christian churches about this controversy. Again, this is Article 4 of Good Works from the Epitome of the Formula of Concord. I, of course, am reading, as we always do on this show, from Concordia, the Lutheran Confessions, a reader's edition of the Book of Concord, available to you from Concordia Publishing House, the publishing arm of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. For, this is paragraph 5. For the thorough statement and decision of this controversy, our doctrine, faith, and confession is as follows. One, or paragraph six, good works certainly and without doubt follow true faith. If it is not a dead but a living faith, just as fruit grows on a good tree, Matthew 7, 17. All right, Pastor Flammy, take it away. All right. Uh, good works follow from true faith. Uh, good works don't give salvation. Uh, this firm distinction is maintained at the very beginning. What's interesting, though, <laughs> is that you have 
this this uh, uh, this parenthetical uh, uh, statement in there when it is not a dead faith, but a living faith. Uh, this this term dead faith shows that our confessors uh, uh, look to the words of Saint James and how he talked about this distinction between uh, uh, a lit faith or a dead faith. That is a faith that that says, "Hey, I've been saved, uh, and that's all that's necessary." And and then he refuses to do the works commanded by God, right? St. James says that is evidence, at least to the, to the world and to us as human beings, that that faith is, in fact, not there. And that's what he calls the dead faith. Our confessors pick up on that word and, and uh, on that phrase, and they use it. And then they go on to say uh, that without, uh, without a doubt, and certainly, uh, that good works have to flow from faith as fruit does from a good tree. And this is this wonderful evangelical picture of good works. Uh, it's so easy to get confused about this. And I, I don't know about you, Sean, but it seems like, at, at least in my congregations, <laughs> that whenever I've talked about good works, the Lutherans always get squeamish. And uh, especially in a Bible class, somebody will raise their hand and say, Pastor, I, I hear you're talking about good works. And it sounds like you're speaking about works in a positive way. Now, this is very confusing for me because I thought that we're saved apart from works. <laughs> and, and then sometimes I even sit down with the little kids uh, in catechism class. And, I ask, and then I ask them just straight up, hey, can you do good works? And the kids will say probably 75%, if not more of the time, No. Uh, and, you know, they're right uh, if they qualify that statement, but so often the statement is just kind of given. No, of course, uh, in the sermons and the preaching and the teaching, it's been emphasized again and again and again that works can't save you. Works are a distraction from the main thing. Therefore, it's uh, salvation by faith, and whatever, whenever we even think of works, it has this sort of, it leaves a bad taste in our mouth, right? Well, nevertheless, if for anyone who opens up the Holy Scriptures and begins to read, can see that good works, works according to the law, right? Uh, the righteousness of the law are commanded everywhere. That Christ himself, on this, in the Sermon on the Mount, we've been going through this uh, lately in our Bible study, when he sits up on the top of the mountain like Moses and begins to teach, uh, he begins by sitting in Moses' seat and teaching uh, things concerning the fifth commandment and the and the sixth commandment. And, and it's clear that what Christ intends from his church is that they pay attention to the law and that they order their lives according to it and that they strive for the righteousness of the law. Now, here's the main thing. The good works are to flow from true faith. It is faith alone that saves. The good works are necessary, and this is uh, the word that we need to talk about, I, I think, a lot today, this word necessary. Good works are necessary, but not for salvation. But in the same way, as a healthy, living tree bears fruit, so also does the Christian who lives not by the fruit, but by the grace of God, right? That's the sap that gives the tree life. Uh, as that tree is, is living by God's grace alone and has it by faith alone, then that tree will, uh, and this is where we use the word necessity in a good way, it will necessarily bear fruit, right? Not because the Christian's compelled to do it, and we'll talk about this a little bit more later too, I, I, I guess too. Not because the Christian is compelled to do the good works, 
but because this is the very thing that a person who has been saved by faith desires to do and wants to do. So with free and willing spirits, the Christian picks up the Ten Commandments and handles them as the treasure that they are and gives thanks to God and finds joy in in fearing, loving, and trusting in God above all things, and also in in honoring authorities, protecting our neighbor's uh, body and life, uh, honoring marriage, and protecting our neighbor's property. All of these things are joy, and all of these things are are, uh, the very thing that Krishna wants to do. I, I like how you continued that metaphor that they're even drawing from here of of the fruit and the tree and 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 what was jumping into my mind as you were talking about that was uh, I I use the one year lectionary uh, in my uh, dual parish here and uh, just a couple of weeks ago we had that reading the Old Testament reading from Isaiah as the rain comes down and waters the earth right and does not return empty yeah. uh, but produces the fruit right so this is. This is the very image that we have, right? It, and I like how you you draw drew that out for us, right? With with the grace, you know, is is what feeds the tree. The grace of God feeds the tree, and that is going to produce fruit. Uh, and and of course, that that is born of the word that just comes down and raters, uh, waters the earth, uh, exactly as Isaiah says. This is a very scriptural language. I, I also thought uh, it was interesting that you talked in there too about uh, you know when you talk about good works in a Lutheran congregation, and and sometimes you have parishioners come to you and. And say, oh, pastor, I hear you're talking about uh, good works and Bible class. Maybe this is why I'm not a very good pastor, because I, I'd be tempted to respond, right? And the best good work that you can do is actually come to Bible class and learn from God's word, right? <laughs> just kind of I'm throw it back to him. In the same uh, way, I'm afraid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And just, uh, you know, but, but again, you know, uh, but it is important for us, you know, even listening to a show like this today of what is it that we actually believe, teach, and confess about good works here? Because I think, as you laid out well for us, our, our ignorance of the place of good works in the Christian life um, is sometimes more harmful to us as Lutherans, just simply, again, because of that that ignorance that we have. I mean, we, we rightly understand the Reformation. And then this is kind of what I've encountered, too, and I kind of wonder your thoughts on this. What I've often encountered when, when I brush up against that in Lutheran congregations isn't so much, um, you know, not even an understanding of that good works have a place in the Christian life, but... But it's it's still like we're we're pushing back against those those contrived good works, if you will, those those good works that we expect to see, you know. And and I think that's what was going on at the time of the Reformation is that the the Catholic Church had specific good works that they wanted to produce, uh, which which I would say definitely were not scriptural. Um, and and we ever have this temptation in the church too that we we expect to see certain good works. And I've I've come to learn a great comfort in in kind of my pastoral ministry and so forth, that a lot of the good works that are going to be produced in a, in a Christian's life, I'll probably never even see as a pastor. A lot of it goes on in their homes in the care of their children, raising them in the faith and things like that. And I'm just not in their homes on a daily basis, you know, feeding their children. That's a, that's a wonderful and glorious work. Uh, all the various vocations that we have, uh, and that's certainly central to the Reformation and what Martin Luther was driving forward as well. And so I think sometimes when we get that conversation going about good works, uh, it, it, it's, it's not even it's somewhat connected here. It's not even that we deny that there, there's a good tree will produce fruit. It's, you know, they're somewhat afraid of, are you going to tell me the fruit that you expect to see versus, you know, that, that a good tree produces fruit that are biblical fruit that you may not always see. I don't know any thoughts or response to that. Yeah. 
Yeah, context is everything. And we have to admit the sort of state of our own context, just like you can't understand what's being said here in these positive articles unless you know the historical context around the formula. Uh, so also here in the United States, we have to understand this sort of peacock obsession with good works that happens in Protestantism, <laughs> you know, and that's, that's a function of their bad theology uh, so that it's not just that by doing good works, I show the rest of the church that I am, in fact, a Christian, which we would agree with. But good works goes another level above that. Good works, in many a Protestant heart, is a confirmation to themselves that they are Christian, right? And that is unevangelical. And this is where this sort of obsession with works comes from. And it leads to all kinds of hypocrisy. So that going to church is a burden. And, and, uh, it, 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 and it's a, a painful experience for lots of folks because you'll go into church and everybody is putting on their best behavior and everybody's talking about how blessed they are in their lives and how they've been a blessing to other people. And it's all a bunch of like uh, semi-spiritual posturing. And that's necessary in those Protestant churches because they have to prove to themselves as much as they have to prove to everybody else that the reason I am still a Christian is still, still saved is because I'm doing good works. Now, in an evangelical church, in a true preaching the gospel church, you come to church as a sinner, <laughs> bearing the guilt and the shame of your sin. Uh, you come bringing your family, you know, and, and, and then you hear at church not the admonition, by the way, to stay in your state of salvation, you should be doing enough works to prove to yourself that you're a Christian. Instead, they hear Christ forgives you, you know. Christ dies on the cross and takes away all of your sins. And this is the foundation of, of true saving faith. And, and this is the amazing thing. Instead of coming up with works to prove to myself and to other people that I'm a Christian, now the true glory of the Ten Commandments shines forth. For Luther, this was a diagnostic sort of thing, to know whether or not you have the, the gospel or not. For the people who don't have the gospel, that is the preaching of the forgiveness of sins for Christ's sake alone, they're always going to be inventing works over and beyond uh, uh, the Ten Commandments. But for the evangelical church, that, that, uh, they, they hear the Ten Commandments, and those are the very things that they strive to do. And when they do talk about good works, you know, the pastor does say, these are the fruits I expect of you. But he talks about it in terms of what we do in the home, Right? What, 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 how does a dad uh, teach his children, you know? How does a mom uh, serve her family? Uh, why is it such a good work to, to have kids, you know, and for grandparents and aunts and uncles to support those families uh, uh, in, you know, in, in their town or, uh, or, or even in the congregation? Uh, uh, not only that, but the pastors in the evangelical church talk about how it's a good service, you know, to, to serve in the government. Uh, that uh, in the fourth commandment, the Lord shows us that there should be these sorts of orders of authority in our life. And as Christians, we're not confused when we see that. We know exactly where it comes from and how our own lives fit into it, right? Uh, and so, yes, Christian lives do look different from the world's lives, right? But instead of going into the Protestant trap of obsessing over works to the point where we think we have to invent them to please everybody, uh, everybody else and to comfort ourselves— we're content with the Ten Commandments, and we're content uh, with the estates that God has put us in. First in the church, which concerns Commandments 1 through 3. Second in the family, 
uh, which is basically commandment four and six. And then uh, also the, the civilist state, right, which would also be an extension of the fourth commandment. Authorities, not our parents, right? Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, I, I, I'm marveling over your phrase here. I forget exactly how it went. Protestant peacocks in the church or something like that. I mean, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a great temptation. Uh, but, uh, but then I, I like how you reframe that for us that, right, there, there are expectations of what the fruit is, but they're biblically driven expectations. And I like how you connected in the, the small catechism and the Ten Commandments as, as being, you know, this, this wonderful, uh, thing that God's word gives us. And, and, you know, certainly then, uh, we, we even understand, you know, again, kind of my little snarky response about going to Bible study and, and hearing about these things, but that would certainly be a fruit that would be produced of a faith is that we would desire to hear God's word, that we would treasure it and, uh, gladly hold it sacred, right. To, to learn it. Um, yeah, lots of great stuff. We, as, as always on the show, we could continue talking forever. Uh, but, uh, we only had like two lines read there and, and we have a lot more to go. So let's push forward. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So now this is uh, paragraph seven again of article four of good works. Um, in the epitome of the formula of Concord, this is affirmative statement. Number two, we believe teach and confess that good works should be entirely excluded from the question about salvation just as they are excluded from the article of justification before God. The apostle testifies with clear words when he writes as follows, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. And again, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as not a result of works so that no one may boast Ephesians 2 8 through 9 all right that Ephesians 2 8 through 9 and Romans of course uh, very central to the Reformation and as you've already alluded to uh, this this is this is really where it comes together both at the Reformation and still in the controversy now it's it's to be excluded as it pertains to salvation go ahead and take this one away Pastor Fleming yeah so in the very first word we said that yes good works have to flow from faith right uh, but that being said, how we speak about good works should never be confused with the topic of justification, right? So, uh, so I always love it when, when good pastors spend time sharpening the distinction between a person's justification, that is how God sees us as righteous, <laughs> and our sanctification, that is God's works in our lives, uh, from the time we're baptized to the time we, are, we die and are raised again to be made holy, right? Justification, our standing with God, how God sees us and what he thinks about us is by God's grace alone for the sake of Christ. And it's grasps, grasped by faith alone, right? And whenever we speak of Christ and grace and faith, that is not the time to talk about your works. Uh, so that, suppose that I get into what, a Bible study, and I start talking about Romans chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, right? And then I, I spend all this time speaking about uh, Christ and faith, and then somebody at some point raises a hand and says, well, pastor, what about good works? Uh, I mean, you, uh, a pastor wiser than me would know how, what to say, right? But my knee-jerk sort of Lutheran reaction would be <laughs> to say, what about good works? That's not, that's not for right now. For right now is the time for Jesus to, to tell us about how we stand with God 
by what he has done alone, by shedding his blood to atone for all of our sins, to wash away all of that guilt so God can see us as his children, right? Uh, so there is a time to speak about uh, 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 Christ, and that, is the, uh, uh, and that is when we speak about, uh, or rather, there is a time to speak about good works, but that's not when we're talking about what Christ gives to us and gives to the church. We have to keep these things distinct. Now, that doesn't reject good works, and this is probably where a lot of guys uh, uh, and even a lot of Christians get confused. Just because when we speak about justification as Christ alone, that doesn't mean that good works are excluded and there's no time or place for good works. There's plenty of time for it. Otherwise, God would never have given us the Ten Commandments to begin with. <laughs> you know? It's just that when we do speak of salvation, we have to say this is from Christ. And then when we speak about our lives on this earth, then we say this is where God wants us to think about the Ten Commandments, to ponder them, to talk about them openly, right? And to even recognize good works when they happen around us. Uh, you know, I, for a while, I don't know if this is a good idea or a bad idea, but I was trying to do this with the members of my church. Uh, it, it, when somebody would do something that I would notice that probably nobody would say anything about because oftentimes we do good works and, and you know, they, they, our Heavenly Father sees them, but not many other people do. I mean, I would try to go out of my way to say, that is a wonderful good work according to this commandment. I'm, thanks be to God that you've done that. Now, I, I tried to do that just to make the point that uh, what you have done is a real good work. God sees it, and he's pleased. Now, uh, so, the, I mean, that emphasizes the place and the time for, for uh, speaking about good works. But again, if that person t- came, like, turned in and looked at me and said, well, pastor, thanks for telling me that was a good work. I, I know I'm especially saved right now. <laughs> then I would have to, to say, ah, oh, that's not what I meant. What I meant is that you have done a good work on this earth. This is the place for it. This is what God wants you to do, according to the Ten Commandments, right? Uh, but when it comes to you feeling saved and thinking that you stand in, in a good place with God, that's Jesus and Jesus alone and what he gives you through the absolution and your baptism. Yeah, I highlighted this last week. You know, you really start to see why we say as Lutheran Christians and our confession of the the faith from Scripture, why the article on justification is the article upon which the church stands and falls, because everything really does hinge around that. And that's why we see this progression here in the uh, formula of Concord, that the the article preceding this article on good works is that article of righteousness of faith before God. We've got to get that right. We ha- We have to understand that. We have to understand that God perfectly loves you. There's nothing you can do to to make him love you to make make it make yourself desirable to him to be saved or anything of that nature and there's nothing you can do to save yourself christ has done this of pure grace that's the article upon which the church stands and falls right and and then the good works proceed in faith we often say as lutherans from that and i think you've laid out that especially well here you know talking about the distinction between justification and sanctification and, and i'm with you that 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 is the the real struggle right is is that you know if if you try pointing out some good works right uh here i'm i'm thinking back to the gospel of matthew right that uh, when jesus talk talks to the sheep on the last day 
day. They're not even aware that they're doing the good works. They're like, when did we ever do that? Right. Um, you know, but, but as soon as you become aware of it and maybe you want to pat yourself on the back or have some assurance of salvation and say, oh yes, I am a good Christian. Right. It's like, well, then you haven't really got the good works then in faith. Right. <laughs> maybe, maybe, uh, let's rethink that. Cause that sounds more like the goats on the last day. Right. Uh, they're, they're the ones that are, are finding confidence in their works. So uh, we, we really see where things start to fall away here when we start to to um, get into the issue on good works of why that uh, article on justification is so central to our confession of faith. That's, that's right. Something to add to this, too, and I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Uh, if we get justification right and we're not offended by everything that Christ does to save us, then there's great freedom in speaking about sanctification and good works. Uh, that the Christian doesn't have to be worried about playing this game of, well, I've spent you know, 25 minutes speaking about uh, uh, good works. Maybe it's time to throw in some gospel there. Well, for a well-catechized congregation, right, or in how you word the sermon, if it's clear that justification is for Christ's sake alone, right? That opens up the possibility to do all kinds of wonderful things for the treasures of life that God, that God gives in the commandments, right? Uh, but you have to have it right. If you don't have, if you don't have justification, the tree is dead, <laughs> to use the metaphor, right? There's no sap in it, and no fruits come from it. I mean, people might look at the branches falling off the tree and say, what beautiful and wonderful works, but those are not the works that God sees and finds pleasing, which only come from saving faith in Christ alone. Uh, so, uh, oh, there was something else I wanted to say about this, about getting, oh, yeah, that's right. You, so, Sean, I have no idea what this phrase means, but maybe you can tell me. What is cheap grace? Cheap grace. Well, I mean, yeah. it depends on how you're asking, I guess, right, to, to some extent, because <laughs> I've, heard, I've heard it used in, in reference to a few different kind of things. But uh, maybe, you know, kind of the thing that jumps immediately to mind is, is that, uh, you know, it, it comes, you know, at no cost to you, which is, yeah, isn't it kind of the way that it works? Well, all right. So uh, I was reading uh, Galatians, uh, the Galatians commentary with some of my members last night, and Luther had something to say about cheap grace, and, and, and a particular kind of cheap grace. Uh, that is that when the person learns from the Holy Scriptures about the great value and uh, the, uh, just how wonderful and awesome God's grace uh, for us is in Christ, uh, then the person says, this is so wonderful and so high that who am I to say that, that, uh, uh, that, it, that I can receive this alone, Right? That, that this, this deserves the best from me, right? It deserves, this needs something from me, some, some sacrifice, some blood, or some beautiful or glorious work, even if it's a humble one, to live up to the great surpassing glory of the gospel itself. That's how Luther sets this up. And he says, that voice that talks about grace as being too cheap is the devil's, <laughs> Right? And this is so. And so this is what or this is what uh, Luther is warning us about. That when we speak about justification, we shouldn't let the glory of Christ uh, uh, offend us into the point of saying, "Well, he des he deserves the best from us," and then in that way backdoor our works into the topic of justification. Uh, that and that would lead us into all kinds of these uh, these errors and and, uh, and all kinds of uh, confusions that came up among the Philippists and that you talked about last week, right? 
that uh, good works are necessary for salvation. That you, you can't talk about salvation without, in some ways, talking about works. Uh, which is why I really appreciate what Luther said, that no, that, let salvation be Christ. Uh, if, you, if, you, if that is the way it is in your preaching and in your conscience by faith, then there will be a place for works. But thanks be to God, it won't ever get confused with grace. I, I think that's well said, and I, I often, you know, to, to maybe change the metaphor just a little bit here, too, I often talk about, you know, just a little while ago, I ate lunch, right? And, uh, you know, that, that, that fed me, right? And that's going to produce in me the desire to eat again, because I was satisfied in that, right? And, and only a fool would say, oh, no, I, I, I was fed once, that's really all I need. I mean, it's going to produce the good works again, right, of eating, continuing to, to uh, receive that benefit. And, and that's certainly a way that we can talk about this as well. Uh, so much great conversation with you. And I, I don't want to go too far down my uh, mixed metaphor there. I want to stick with the fruit and the tree. And, and you've done a great job of that. But we also need to do this good work, which is is to take a break uh, right here and uh, please join us right after this. The Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, on behalf of Concordia Plan Services, Lutheran Housing Support Corporation, Concordia University System, Lutheran Church Extension Fund, the LCMS Foundation, and Corporate Synod, daily reaches out to our members and partners, working together to support our local, global, and international ministries, church workers, and LCMS initiatives at large to carry the mission forward and to serve each other in love. Opportunities to serve, lcms.org slash careers. Ecclesiastes 10 verse 10 states, If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. Find this true wisdom in Christ on Sharper Iron every weekday morning at 8 a.m. here on Worldwide KFUO. Sharpen the iron of your faith together with two pastors as they take up the sword of the Spirit to proclaim the gifts of Christ crucified and risen for you. Welcome back to Concord Matters as we have Pastor Brian Flammy, Pastor of Emmanuel Lutheran in Roswell, New Mexico, joining us today. And of course, I'm your host, Pastor Sean Smith. And we continue to make our way here through the affirmative statements of Article 4 from the Epitome of the Formula of Concord, the article on good works, which follows, very importantly, as we've highlighted, the Article 3 on the righteousness of faith before God, that article of our justification, at least in the formula of Concord in the Augsburg Confession, it's Article 4 there, uh, that that great uh, justification article. But here it's Article 3, and then we can talk about good works. And as we just covered really well, Pastor Flammy is just knocking it out of the park today. Uh, uh, the, the question about our salvation, not related to the issue of good works. Good works will be produced. Uh, that's that's the, the fruit produced on a living tree. And, uh, and so let's continue to uh, make our way with these affirmative statements and what we believe, teach, and confess from Scripture about the place of good works. All right, so this is affirmative statement number three, paragraph eight, and article four of good works. Again, reading from Concordia, the Lutheran Confessions, a reader's edition of the Book of Concord from CPH. We also believe, teach, and confess that all people, 
but especially those who are born again and renewed by the Holy Spirit are obligated to do good works, Ephesians 2.10. Uh, that's very important that it follows here, the, just the citation from Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, uh, very well uh, that uh, as it proceeds in Scripture, then we talk about Ephesians 2.10, and also maybe Pastor Flemming here talk about too, uh, born again and renewed by the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we Lutherans get a little uneasy in that kind of language. So, so go ahead and take us away here. Born again and renewed. I know I, I, I talk to these uh, Baptist folks who send their kids to our school. And uh, especially when it comes time in our school to talk about baptism, like that's the part of the catechism we're going over requiring for memory work. Uh, some of the parents might come to me and say, we're, not sh- we're very uncomfortable with your baptism talk. Don't you know that the main thing is being born again and renewed? They say, yes. That's why we're talking about baptism. <laughs> so the, the new birth is from God. It's not found on this earth. It's not of the flesh. It's of God. And God, uh, in his mercy and in his love, has bound that Holy Spirit to give spiritual birth to water in, in, uh, in baptism, right? So that where in the water where you have God's name and you have God's promise, There the Holy Spirit is to resurrect the Christian, right? Or to give life to the Christian, uh, 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 so that the the, the Christian who wasn't there before, right, who in fact was incapable of doing any good works before, is now a living creature in God's sight. And that living creature has life by God's grace alone, and and, uh, we know about that from the promises of baptism. Like my favorite, Mark 16, 16, whoever believes and is baptized shall be saved. And faith and baptism go together. Why? Because baptism is the word, the wet word, that faith grabs a hold of, right? And now, in this paragraph, it says that all people, particularly those who have been born again and renewed by the Holy Spirit, are obligated to do good works. Of course they are, because they're alive, they're living. And just as sure as they uh, have come to know the voice of their Savior Jesus and follow him, they're also going to be doing the things that Jesus finds pleasing and has given to the church to do uh, uh, for the world, right? Those commands, uh, the, uh, the, uh, those commands of the law, commandments 1 through 10. Uh, so you have this strong word that's used, obligated, right? But the strong word is, is once again apart from salvation, but a result of salvation. It comes from salvation, uh, and I think that's the topic of the very next paragraph, too, the, the use of these strong terms in talking about good works. Yeah, absolutely. We definitely want to, uh, to you know, get into this word necessary. I, I, I think actually reading Ephesians 2.10 is also really important here, uh, yeah. especially as it's been cited in a bracket uh, comment uh, here. Um, I, I think it just frames it for us really well. So we have Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, for by grace we have been saved through faith, right? That wonderful Reformation phrase. But then Ephesians 2, 10 says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So they're obligated, but I think the key here is is that created in Christ Jesus. Well, how are we created, or we would say recreated in Christ Jesus? Well, of course, that's through baptism, right? You're in Christ Jesus. You can't do anything else. And that's the way that St. Paul works all throughout his writings. Uh, Those who are in Christ Jesus, 
that that's this is the way that you live in Christ Jesus. You are recreated. You don't live that old way according to your old flesh, that old Adam anymore. You're in Christ Jesus. And then and then he gives that wonderful this is the sanctified life in Christ direction. Uh and, and that continues to be our confession today. All yeah, right. Let's go ahead that's and a nice point. I okay. and just to uh, to to say something about that. Um the person who has that new birth of the Holy Spirit uh sees the world differently, right? And, uh, and, and the way that the Holy Scriptures and, and our confessions speak of it, the person even has new powers and desires, right? We're able to do the things that God finds pleasing, where before it was simply an impossibility. Like, uh, I, I think it is in the Apology uh, that, you, that it says that a person can't even outwardly keep commandments one through three until that person is a Christian, <laughs> you know? Uh, but now that you see Christ and, and know God through, uh, uh, through the blood that Jesus shed on the cross, uh, then this, the spiritual life is open to you, and all of the commandments are yours. They're kind of like your inheritance. Uh, so that's right. And, and this connection between knowing the, who Jesus is and, uh, and the life that we are to live is also so important. So, how do, so when Christians are being humble, where do we learn humility from, right? So St. Paul says, have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. But then he talks about the humiliation of the Son of God. It's not just uh, a kind of uh, uh, museum piece of dogma, but it's also something that when we, when we meditate on that truth of, of the Son of God, humiliating himself to the point of death, we are also seeing a pattern for our own lives of good works and of sacrifice uh, for the neighbor. I'm really fighting being one of those Protestant peacocks in the church that you warned us against earlier. I, I think you're the first <laughs> guest that has ever come on my show and said, that's a great point. Uh, so I might have to have you on more often. Uh, <laughs> no, that, no that, that's a great follow-up. Uh, but uh, I just wanted to make that connection. Now I really want to get to, as you said, this this is the the really key word, probably the word at the heart of the controversy itself, that word necessary. And so we need to wrestle with that. And uh, we, we have limited time. So let's get to it. This is affirmative statement number four, paragraph nine. In this sense, the words necessary, shall, and must are used correctly and in a Christian way to describe the regenerate and are in no way contrary to the form of sound words and speech. All right. Uh, let me let me actually just go ahead and uh, get uh, affirmative statement number five, paragraph ten, in here as well, as I think they're they're very much connected. Nevertheless, if the words mentioned, i.e., necessity and necessary, are used when talking about regenerate people, then only due obedience, not coercion, is to be understood. For the truly believing, so far as they are regenerate, do not offer obedience from coercion or the driving of the law, but from a voluntary spirit. For they are no more mm. under the law, but under grace. Romans six fourteen, seven six, and eight fourteen. All right, go ahead and talk about this this very key word: necessary or shall or must. Necessity. Uh, how do how do we wrestle with this? Okay, so necessity could be understood in two ways, and this twofold distinction is given to us in the Solid Declaration, which is the larger portion of the Book of of Concord. That's sort of like the expansion upon the notes that we're reading right now in the Epitome. There, the first way of understanding necessity is in terms of compulsion, uh, that by force and by uh, just uh, uh, grabbing something apart, away from someone without actually having that person's will or consent, right? That's the first way of understanding necessity, compulsion, force. 
Now, of course, you can you can imagine what this might look like. Uh, so suppose uh, somebody holds a gun to you and says, give me everything in your wallet, right? You're going to do it, even though what is your will? Your will is to keep your wallet. You know, if this guy didn't have a gun to your head, would you give him your wallet with your personal information and the money that you need to feed your kids? No, right? So that's the first idea of necessity. The second idea of necessity, however, is concerning uh, God's order and his will, his order and his will. Uh, So God has created this world according to a certain order, and that is the very order that we find in the Ten Commandments. Right. So everything that belongs to creation, everything that belongs to love, everything that belongs to life on this world is ordered according to the Ten Commandments. And any action that we take apart from that order is, in fact, something on the road to death. It's an attack upon creation and the gifts of life. Right. Uh, And then and then, of course, we see what God wills, what God wills. And this is one of the things that we learn about from the Ten Commandments is that we would be uh, blessed on this earth. Right. Uh, That uh, this is how Luther likes to talk about the Ten Commandments in the large catechism. Here we can see all the gifts uh, that God gives to us, the gift of himself, the gift of his name, the gift of worship, uh, the gift of parents and authorities, the gift of your neighbor's body and life. Uh, the, uh, and, and so on, right? Uh, he, uh, God's will is to give you these things for you to live in them so that you would be blessed. Uh, the person who sets his own will against that necessity, that second understanding of necessity, is a person who desires sin and death. Even if he's blinded to the end of that sin, right, or the, uh, the, the final result of that sin, as Adam and Eve certainly were when they chose the, uh, the disobedience of God's word over what God had actually said, right? Nevertheless, that's, that's where we're, they're headed. So when we say that good works are necessary, again, we don't say that they're necessary in the way that God holds a gun to your head, because that would be, that, that would, because that, what that would mean is that we would need to be forced to do the very things that, in fact, as Christians, we're eager to do, which is not true. There's no compulsion there in that way. Uh, we don't have that's 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 the first use of the law, right? That you guys will talk about later when you get into that section of the epitome, right? The uses of the law. That's the first use of the law, and that's given for the ungodly, as Saint Paul says in First Timothy. Uh, uh, the first use of the law is the curb that keeps people from acting too wickedly, and they have to be curbed because they don't even understand. They don't even know what the good thing is or how to to pursue it, right? And that's why we have the law that that throws people into jail. Uh, uh, however, the Christian, uh, because we have the mind of Christ, right? And now we see our neighbor is instead of our enemy as our, as the one that also has been redeemed by Christ at his blood. Uh, uh, now we see the order of life and the order of life is the very thing that the Christian wants to do in concert with God's own will. There's no force or compulsion there, but rather a willing obedience. Uh, um, and it's okay to talk about the word obedience. Why not? Uh, there's, there's a willing spirit that, that, that delights in hearing God's word and chases after the things that also pleases God, because these are the things of life as opposed to the things of death. 
I think you've laid this out really well for us. And as you were talking there, First uh, Timothy two four came to my mind, and, and and I wonder what your thoughts are on this as as being our our connection and understanding this, especially from Scripture, where where there we see Saint Paul telling Pastor Timothy um, that you know he he reveals what God's will is that namely that all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And at least for me, I see a bit of a connection there that when we understand that it's God's will not to kind of put his thumb on us and direct our life and coerce us. Uh, and, and I like how you laid out, you know, that, that first use, it, it's for the ungodly, you know, who just don't even, don't even have it. Right. Um, but, but that we understand that his primary will is that we be saved again, bringing us back to that article of justification. And then of course, we're going to come to the knowledge of truth through that. I don't know. Is there a connection there? Am I kind of jumping off base here? What are your thoughts? No, I think that's right. Uh, you, so you come to the knowledge of the truth, and you learn to love the law as opposed to hate the law as the sinner must <laughs> because of, of God's will to save us and to preserve us from death, right? Uh, he doesn't want us to die. Uh, he doesn't want us to perish eternally. That's, his grace is for the world. That's, and, you know, John 3, 16. Uh, we, we should cherish this verse. That God so loved the world that he gave his only beloved son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Uh, and once we understand that, then we can understand that God gives the law, not capriciously or like arbitrarily, not like the, the evil genius in the sky who's looking at the mice run through the mazes and laughing about it the whole time. No, the Ten Commandments outline uh, uh, the life that is, uh, that, that is a gift from God, right? And then we can see, we begin to see the distinction between the law and, and the things that lead to death, Right. Uh, uh, so that's right. But we, I can't see the law that charitably. Nobody really can. Even the Pharisee who loves the law and the righteousness of the law and confuse, confuses the righteousness that he has from the law in front of people as the righteousness that also counts before God. Even the Pharisee can't love the law as a true Christian can, right? Because for him, it will always at some level be a matter of compulsion, uh, that uh, it has to be this way. And it's not going to be freely given, which is why Jesus, when he preaches against the Pharisees who love the law, uh, the, the chief way he preaches against them is their hypocrisy. That is outwardly, they do everything that the law desires, but where are their hearts? Very far from God. They do not desire the law. <laughs> All they want are the things that serve their flesh, and they're using the law as a means to obtain it. They're on the path towards death as opposed to, to living in the law, uh, which is only possible if you first have faith, as the Christians do, right? Yeah. How do we see our obedience? I think I think that's key. And I think this connects in with the next several paragraphs then and the next several affirmative statements. So I'm actually going to read them together, one for the sake of time so that we get it in as we're coming uh, into the last 10 minutes or so here. Uh, but uh, but uh, just a lot in here to, to discuss about how we rightly understand this then too. So this is paragraph 11, affirmative uh, statement number six. And I'm going to go all the way through affirmative statement nine, paragraph 14. We also believe, teach, and confess that when it is said the regenerate do good works from a free spirit, this is not to be understood as though it were an option for the regenerate person to do or not to do good when he wants, as though a person can still retain faith if he intentionally perseveres in sins, 1 John 2, 5 through 9. This is not to be understood in any way other than as the Lord Christ and his apostles themselves declare. In other words, the free spirit does not obey from fear of punishment like a servant, 
but from love of righteousness like children, Romans 8.15. However, the, this willingness, liberty of spirit, in God's elect children is not perfect. It is bur burdened with great weakness, as St. Paul complains about himself in Romans 7.14-25 and Galatians 5.17. Nevertheless, for the sake of the Lord Christ, the Lord does not charge this weakness to his elect, as it is written, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8, 1. I, I, I just love this, this Lutheran language that so freely talks as Scripture does, that, that sees our righteousness that, as that from a perspective of children. I, I was, I was n noticing this as I was reading uh, things about the Catechism and reading the Catechism recently, too, just how, how wonderfully Lutheran incorporates that language and invites us to pray this way as Lord, our Lord himself invites us to pray. Uh, and, and I think that that's key for understanding this. It's not like a servant, right? That's that coercive law-driven love, uh, but, but, but like children. And, uh, you know, I, I see this already in, in my own son, who's just a little over one year old, uh, that, uh, you know, not all the time, but sometimes he's already producing some good works and, and that bring me a lot of joy as his father. And he does so simply yeah. because he's my son, he's my child, and and and, and I yeah. delight in him. And he has a place of home and safety here in, in our house and, and we provide for him, my my wife and I as his parents. And, and that 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 produces that that joy, that joyful response. It's not coercive. You're my son, you need to do this, or, or anything of that nature, right? You're, we don't view him as a right. servant, we view him as a son. Go, uh, go ahead and yeah. Yes. You teach us now. <laughs> no, your son. So this is great. You look at your kid and your kid. I mean, it's right to say that the kids, at least in a practical way, you know, we're all Americans. And so we love pragmatism and, you know, what works. That's what we should do. Uh, well, if you try to measure a kid by how practical he is, he's not. <laughs> Unless <laughs> right. you live on a right. farm and there's like a 15 year waiting period before he can like run something, some of the machinery or something. Right. No. So the honor that your child has, this is great, is, is an imputed honor, right? <laughs> and the glory that your kid has is the glory that you put him. So your kid can't dress himself. He needs mom and dad to do that for him, especially mom. And mom picks out the very best clothes, right? And mom uh, does everything that she can to make sure that the baby is happy and comfortable, that when you take your kid out with you you're, uh, uh, to church, you know, you put them in their Sunday best. The kid can't put himself in his Sunday best. His honor has to come from the parents, right? Or in terms of, of, of you know, from the lesser to the greater, with us as Christians, our honor and our glory has to come from God. Now, to get into this, we are children, as you were saying, children of God, born of God by the Holy Spirit, through the means of grace, the preaching of the word, and holy baptism. Uh, and, and we are kept in that, in that grace by continuing to hear the gospel, you know, given to us through preaching and the Lord's Supper. Now, when we're set free, and when we have the freedom of children, as opposed to the, the spirit of slavery, uh, we are free not to choose between righteousness and sin, but it's a freedom to do righteousness, to do the good works. Uh, so, so Gerhard, somewhere, uh, John Gerhard, in something that I read of his a couple of years ago, was talking about the nature of Christian freedom as a freedom to do the things that God finds pleasing for the very first time. Because apart from God's grace and faith, everything that you do, no matter how beautiful it looks to the world, doesn't please God. There's no freedom uh, to serve God in the way that people think they are. It said that freedom only comes through the adoption 
of grace. You have that in, in holy baptism, and from that adoption, uh, then you can serve God, and, 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 uh, and then you can also uh, obey his commands, and, and you do it willingly, right? As a, as a child, uh, does everything sometimes, sometimes, <laughs> does, does uh, everything he can to please his parents. Uh, it's not perfect, right? But, but thanks be to God that the, 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 the sonship that we have by faith is a, is a perfect sonship, right? It is a real gift of the Holy Spirit, even if it's, and this is what the confessors eventually get to, even if it's burdened by the flesh in this life, thanks be to God, that the good works that we do according to the Ten Commandments are good in God's sight. Why? Because the guilt of our flesh that tries to drag every good work down into the mud, right, to try to lead it back into sin and death, Jesus has died for those. He shed his blood uh, to absolve us of the flesh's guilt that tries to, to cling to each and every one of our good works, right? So this is getting back to your earlier point. In the separating of the sheep and the goats, the sheep didn't have the eyes to see the good works. Why? Because in this world, everything is tainted by the flesh. Everything is tainted by our, sinful, our sinfulness that we're not, not, not going to be free of until we finally uh, die, <laughs> which is a good thing that our baptism does for us. It finally uh, physically puts the flesh to death. Uh, but when that happens, uh, and when we're resurrected, we will finally be able to see all of the good works that we have been doing according to the Ten Commandments as God sees them. That is, free from the guilt of sin, uh, we're going to see the glorious results of Jesus' blood. <laughs> you know, that absolved us of our guilt and our shame, so that everything that we do is, in fact, a precious good work in God's sight. Very well said. With just about 20 seconds left, I, I want to get us one more paragraph in here, which I believe serves as a good summary then for us, too. We believe, teach, and confess also that works do, do not maintain faith and salvation in us, but God's Spirit alone does this through faith. Good works are evidences of his presence and indwelling, Romans 8, 5, and 14. Of course, this brings us back to baptism, which Pastor Flammy has so well laid out for us. Big thank you to Pastor Brian Flammy for joining us for Concord today. If you have a question or comment that you would like to leave for us to address the next time we convene for Concord, you can leave us a message by phone, 314-996-1542, email kfo at kfo.org, social media at KFO Rodeo. Thank you for stopping by today, and until next time, keep confessing, church. Mm-hmm.